Welcome, friends, to tonight's edition of Corbett Report Radio here on Republic Broadcasting. I'm your host, James Corbett of CorbettReport.com. I'd like to thank you once again for tuning in for tonight's Friday night edition of the broadcast. And since it is Friday night, as you know by now, we're going to do a Friday night highlight edition of Corbett Report Radio, where I go through some of the archives of CorbettReport.com to highlight some of my previous work from the past five years of operation there at CorbettReport.com. And once again, let me take this opportunity to remind all the late radio listeners who might only know me through the RBN broadcast that, yes, I do have CorbettReport.com, and that's where you can go to find all of my articles, my interviews, my podcasts, all of that work that I've been accruing for five years and on so many different topics. So I really do hope that you use that as the resource that it is. Of course, all of the uh, information there is available freely for download, and I highly suggest you do so and take advantage of that and distribute it out, out to everyone you know, because that's the only way that we can continue expanding this this real revolution in consciousness, which, as I've said many times, is the only revolution that matters. And on that note, in order to power this revolution of consciousness, unfortunately, in this monetary paradigm, we all need money to uh, to live and to put food on the table and a roof over our heads, myself included. So really, once again, this broadcast is brought to you by you, and you are the ones out there who, through your support, enable me to do all of this work. So once again, let me profoundly and profusely thank all of you out there who have signed up to be subscribers to the Corbett Report by donating as little as 100 Japanese yen per month. That's about a buck 30 uh, per month to uh, to keep the Corbett Report going. And to all those people who have purchased one of my DVDs, absolutely that support too is greatly appreciated and greatly needed as I continue to scrape by month to month putting food on the table. And on that note, I have just released a brand new DVD, and it's, uh, well, I suppose brand new in the fact that it's never before been available on DVD, but it's not exactly brand new in terms of the content. It's the 2010 video archive, and people who have followed CorbettReport.com for any length of time might know that I had a 2009 video archive that I came out with. I guess over a year ago now, and that was basically about 90 minutes of some of the uh, the greatest videos that I put together in 2009, including interviews that I conducted and various videos that I put together. Well, now I've just put together the 2010 version of that video archive, including almost 120 minutes of footage, pretty much cram-packed as much as I possibly could onto a single DVD. This is a video DVD. It will play in your DVD player. It's in NTSC format, the standard North American format, also here in Japan. Europe uses PAL, but most modern DVD players will play either an NTSC or PAL, so it should not make a difference. And it is available for purchase right now through my website at CorbettReport.com. There's a link on the front page. Also, CorbettReport.com slash support will take you right there. And a video will be up shortly just to introduce this to you all and uh, show you some of the, the footage that's going to be on. But tonight on the Friday Night Highlight Edition of Corbett Report Radio, I wanted to take this time and this opportunity to highlight some of the work that appears on the video. Of course, all of the videos on the DVD are absolutely freely available uh, on YouTube, so I will include the links to all of the things that I'm going to play tonight. And, of course, they're all up there on YouTube.com slash Corbett Report. So there's nothing here that uh, that you couldn't get for free if you wanted. It's really to help support me and to help support my efforts. If you appreciate this information, then your monetary support is greatly appreciated. 
And so we will be going through some of the, the videos tonight. Um, basically, it's it's a collection of interviews that I conducted in 2010 and some commentary that I did and a uh, two episodes of Sunday Update, my uh, popular weekly video news update that was running in 2010 and part of 2011. And also uh, a classic episode of New World Next Week with James Evan Pilato of MediaMonarchy.com, who, of course, is on the broadcast here every Thursday night for Food World Order. So a ton of information on this disc. We're going to go through some of the best uh, highlights of it uh, tonight. And uh, once again, corporatereport.com slash support. Your support is greatly appreciated. We'll be right back after these messages. Friday night edition of Corporate Report Radio here on Republic Broadcasting, and like every Friday night, we're digging up some of the best works from the past five years at CorbettReport.com to highlight and bring to your attention tonight. Tonight we're going over the 2010 Video Archive DVD, brand new, available for purchase right now from CorbettReport.com. Once again, that's C-O-R-B-E-T-T Report.com. And you can get the 2010 Video Archive DVD, all of these videos, once again, absolutely freely available on YouTube, so you don't have to purchase them, but if you want to get them on DVD, and of course to help support the Corbett Report and all the work that I'm doing... Your support is greatly appreciated. And tonight we're highlighting some of the audio from some of the videos. Once again, nine videos, nearly 120 minutes of video, so an absolutely jam-packed DVD. And tonight we're going over some of the uh, the videos from there, including an episode of New World Next Week, my weekly video series with James Evan Pilato of, of course, foodworldorder.com, who's on this prod- broadcast every Thursday night. In New World Next Week, we generally go over three news stories each week that are making headlines and uh, and breaking around the world. But back in July of 2010, the biggest story in the world at that time was the release of the Afghan war logs from WikiLeaks. And it was right in the height of that uh, maelstrom and fervor about that release that we decided to do an entire episode just on WikiLeaks. And it was coming from a skeptical perspective. And although that pretty much is uh, one of the the main perspectives on WikiLeaks now from the alternative media standpoint, at the time it was uh, stepping out on a limb a bit because there was a lot of people who were still hailing WikiLeaks as some kind of savior of humanity. So we stepped out on a limb and I I provided some skepticism in this episode of New World Next Week. And uh, I think we were justified in that as as things came out in the wash and as uh, the WikiLeaks, uh, all of the shady connections about WikiLeaks began to come out. But this was one of the first videos out there on that. So let's present to you this episode of New World Next Week, again available on the 2010 Video Archive. And this episode first broadcast on July 29th, 2010, available again at youtube.com slash corporate report. Everyone is talking about the WikiLeaks Afghan war log story. So let's just, if folks have been living under a rock, say, for the last few days, we'll give them the quick breakdown from the Associated Press. Largest intel leak in history, WikiLeaks leaks drops Afghan war diaries. Some 90,000 leaked U.S. military records posted online Sunday, July 25th, amount to a blow-by-blow account of six years of the Afghanistan war, including unreported incidents of Afghan civilian killings as well as covert operations against Taliban figures. The online whistleblower WikiLeaks.org posted the documents on its website Sunday. The New York Times, the London Guardian, and the German weekly Der Spiegel were given early access to the documents 
and they all published them simultaneously this past Sunday, July 25th. The White House condemned the document disclosure, saying it, quote, put the lives of Americans and our partners at risk. James, this is so multi-layered, multi-tiered, so multifaceted. How do you want to start this off? Well, I just want to commend all of the alternative news sites that are, I think, giving this the type of skeptical coverage that it deserves, because I was a little bit worried when this story first hit that people were going to be accepting it unquestioningly, which is dangerous at any time for any information. And I'm glad to see there is such skepticism about this story coming out from a lot of different sources, because uh, it's... I think there's been a, a certain tendency to treat WikiLeaks and Julian Assange as some kind of second coming of Christ in recent months, that this is going to be the organization that will save humanity. And I have to admit, I played into that a little bit with some of my earlier coverage of WikiLeaks earlier this year, um, although it was never my intention to set them up as, as the organization that's going to save the world. But obviously, there has been a lot of glowing coverage of them. And I started to have a little bit more of a suspicious eye towards them with the collateral murder release. Not necessarily mm -hmm. the video itself, but the PR that surrounded the release of that video, I thought was 80 times more hype than it really deserved. And it seemed like a big sort of press media manipulation type exercise that worked very well for WikiLeaks in particular, but didn't seem to... I don't know, deliver the goods, so to speak, because it didn't actually change very much in terms of the discourse going on about the war. And now we have this, which, again, is being hyped like it's the most inc incredible manna from heaven that has just been released when it, you know, 92,000 documents, unbelievable, amazing, unthinkable, that just confirm everything we already know and just further the war on terror narrative in so many ways. But I'm, I'm interested in your take on this and what you think may have actually been revealed here, if anything at all. Well, and I, I think as we wanted to mention some of the great alternative media sites and writers, you know, some of the great work being done on this is done by our, our friend, actually, Jeff Long at rockcreekfreepress.com. And his site, Redacted News, has a great take on this. Of course, Cryptagon.com, even uh, Glenn Greenwald, Chris Floyd. All, all around the spectrum, a lot of folks have fortunately taken this kind of with a grain of salt in all that it entails. James, you and I both noted that last week in relation to the Washington Post's top secret America story that Jeremy Scahill put it quite correctly and simply saying – Corporate media discloses everything we already knew. So in other breaking news, Iraq had no weapons of mass destruction. That what we're basically seeing here is the same corporate-controlled media who led us to these wars based on lies, based on proven falsehoods. And now we're supposed to be so thankful that they're now reporting on an organization doing the work that they're supposed to be doing in the first place. That's, that's a huge take for me. And what we see and what we will mention and on MediaMonarchy.com, I have a massive data dump of a lot of updates related to this WikiLeaks story. And I think therein lies a lot of the things to flesh this story out. It essentially points to coming war with Pakistan. It says Osama bin Laden might still be alive. It essentially does everything to reaffirm and to confirm the Obama-size Afghanistan surge last December. And what do we see? 
They've already gotten their way. The Afghan war got their junky fix of even more cash infusion. Again, as all of these things start to fall apart, we still see it somehow all progressing. But in some of these headlines and some of these other links that that we implore folks to check out, because as Cryptagon says on this story, treat every source as disinfo and do the research for yourself. And we're saying that as well. Don't take our word for any of this. Do the research for yourself. When we get into the back end of this, we see, and some of the folks are pointing out, the connections between WikiLeaks and George Soros and some of these things in the background. James? Absolutely. That's exactly right. Uh, the, it, I'm, I don't know whether he's a stock, the, Assange is a stalking horse for Soros or whether WikiLeaks is some sort of intelligence cutout. I have no inside information. I don't know. But it, at the very, very least, the most generous we could be with WikiLeaks is to say that they use every possible opportunity to hype themselves and hype their organization and take their website offline to plead more money, more money. We need more money to do what we're doing. And then uh, take their website offline or they'll they'll put up one or two documents and, and that'll be all that, that'll be there or all sorts of things like that. They even let their secure online form, secure online form for uh, leaking documents to them, they let that expire for a couple of weeks and then renewed it and now they say it's secure again. But uh, as John Young from Crypto.org points out, it would be very easy for anyone with any computer knowledge whatsoever to track uh, leaks that are coming through that WikiLeaks website. So the fact that they're hyping themselves as some sort of extremely secure organization, again, makes it very suspicious. And again, we just need to take it with a grain of salt, take all information with a grain of salt. And I think there's been an excellent editorial from spikedonline.com of all places about truth versus information. And basically the idea that's being set up with this WikiLeaks phenomenon is the idea that information itself, just raw information, is somehow equivalent to truth. But that's not the case. And as we know, there is a lot of work to be done in contextualizing information to make it valuable. And Mm -hmm. that there's no organization that's going to come from on high and hand you all of the information you need. You have to work for it. You have to contextualize it. You have to put it into a narrative that makes sense. And until there are more and more alternative points that are doing that, uh, you know, we're, we're going to be lost as a society. So it's good to see there is a lot of critical reaction about this. But another aspect of this I want to touch on is the idea that this is going to be used as a further crackdown on the internet. So maybe you have some more to say about that. It kind of, to me kind of ties in that we see the, the, again, the corporate media and we have the recent CNN talking heads talking about restricting the internet. We've seen the White House even sort of allude and even say explicitly that maybe this, this uh, WikiLeaks Afghan war diaries came from someone hacking into government computers. This is all going to come back around to restricting Internet freedom because as this plays out to Joe 12-pack in America, it can be sold as those damn hackers got in and they're putting our soldiers at risk. So they will have no problem going along with a crackdown on the web. It also feeds back into the corporate-controlled media that they are, their, they are the masters. They are the purveyors of real truth and all those silly bloggers and conspiracy theorists and citizen journalists, those are all frauds that can't be trusted, and you have to get your news from an alphabet agency. 
Right. Well, again, one of the people I'd like to direct people to is John Young of Krypton.org, who's had a lot of really good things to say about this. And he talks about authoritative information and the people who try to purvey the fact that they're giving authoritative information. And he's very questioning and skeptical of anyone claiming to have authoritative information. So I think that's an important aspect of this, that we have to question all information. And uh, certainly if people want to, they can check out my earlier uh, conversation with John Young of WikiLeaks from earlier this year about uh, John Young of Cryptome about WikiLeaks uh, from earlier this year. So uh, lots of great information out there about this, and I, I'm glad to see people are treating it skeptically. Absolutely. Absolutely. As we wrap up this 40th episode of The New World next week, we send a huge thanks to folks who have helped make these videos as big as they are, and we ask for your continued support. And again, remind you about NewWorldNextWeek.com. Thanks, James. Welcome back, friends. Welcome back to this Friday night edition of Corbett Report Radio. I'm your host, James Corbett of CorbettReport.com, and tonight we're going over highlights of the 2010 Video Archive DVD that has just been released and is now available for purchase at CorbettReport.com. And this is a compilation of some of the best videos that I put together in the year 2010. And during 2010 and part of 2011, I was putting out a weekly video update series called Sunday Update. And it was a, a program going over two or three of the, uh, the most interesting stories around the world and breaking down the real headlines behind the, uh, the phony headlines that you read in the mainstream press. And in this particular edition of that, uh, or at least part of that episode that we're going to listen to right now, uh, which was aired on July 18th, 2010, I broke down some of the calls by various administration officials and others in power for more terror attacks, because, of course, the phony war on terror paradigm is how they move their political football further and further down the field. So let's listen to this edition of Sunday Update from July 18th, 2010. In our top story this week, a series of comments from prominent political operatives and media personalities praising the political utility of large-scale terror attacks are drawing widespread condemnation. In one of the latest examples, former Clinton official and Obama supporter Rob Shapiro was quoted in the Financial Times this week, seemingly hoping for a new spectacular terror event to revive the public's waning belief in the Obama administration. The bottom line here is that Americans don't believe in President Obama's leadership, he was quoted as saying. He has to find some way between now and November of demonstrating that he is a leader who can command confidence and, short of a 9-11 event or an Oklahoma City bombing, I can't think of how he could do that. The comment, which was swiftly and roundly condemned by political commentators, came as no surprise to those who have noted similar rhetoric from those on both the left and the right, who realize that the current political paradigm is constructed on the myth of a pervasive, monolithic, and ruthless terrorist conspiracy. In 2005, a confidential GOP memo was leaked stressing the need for a devastating terror attack to validate the war on terror and unite the country in shock and sorrow. These exact sentiments were echoed in 2007 by Dennis Milligan, who expressed the need for another 9-11 to prove war on terror naysayers wrong in his first interview as Arkansas Republican Party chairman. The idea surfaced again later in 2007 when columnist Stu Bykovsky wrote an op-ed in the Philadelphia Daily News entitled, To Save America, We Need Another 9-11. 
Bykovsky defended his remarks on Fox News and was aided in that defense by John Gibson. 9-11 united the country and it remained united and we were all on the same team for at least a year or two. Stu, but do you mean to say that we are going to be attacked again, we will be united again, that's a sort of inevitability to that, or that in order to achieve this unity, we actually need to suffer? Uh, John, I didn't actually call for an attack on the United States. Uh, I can see where people read it that way, but I didn't actually say it. However, another attack on the United States is inevitable. I believe that, don't you? Yes, I do, actually, and I okay. think it's going to take a lot of dead people to wake America up. Now, since Bill Clinton himself came out recently suggesting that opponents of the Obama administration were likely to perpetrate another OKC-style terror event, it has been the Democrats who have been arguing that another terrorist attack would be good for the country. This follows comments earlier this week by CNN's Rick Sanchez calling this week's bombing in Uganda that left 74 people dead helpful to those attempting to reduce global geopolitics to a simplistic paradigm of the U.S. military versus a global terror jihad. Our latest tally of the number who died, 74. 74 innocent people are dead. Joining, uh, joining me now is Gary Bernstein. He's a former CIA officer. But you know what's interesting about this? In a strange way, the event is helpful to the cause of those of us who know uh, how sadistic these fundamental radical Islamic terrorists are. And if it helps get the message out there that these are not the good guys, then so be it. Unsurprisingly, not mentioned by those who express a desire for spectacular bloodshed to further their political objectives are those facts that would tend to complicate the war on terror narrative. Earlier this week, a terrorist attack in Iran left 28 people dead and 167 injured after a suicide bombing at a mosque in the southeastern city of Zahedan. Responsibility for the bombing has been claimed by Jundula, a Sunni terrorist organization based in Balochistan. The bombing is apparently in response to the capture and execution of their leader, Abdulmalek Rigi, by Iran earlier this year. Before his execution, Rigi confessed to American military support for the Jundula organization. Abul Malik Rigi says he met the U.S. agents in Pakistan who promised support for carrying out terrorist attacks in Iran. The Americans promised to give us aid. They said they cooperate with us and give me military equipment, arms and machine guns. They told me that in Kyrgyzstan they have a base called Manas near Bishkek and that in a place like this some high-ranking American person could come and we could reach an agreement on making personal contacts. The Americans said Iran was going its own way, and they said their problem at the present is Iran. Not Al-Qaeda, not the Taliban, their main problem is Iran. One of the CIA officers said that it was too difficult for them to attack Iran militarily, but they plan to give aid and support to all anti-Iranian groups that have the capability to wage war and create difficulty for the Islamic State. Although ABC News and The New Yorker have both previously reported on the covert CIA support for this terrorist organization, None of the American terror pundits are noting this aspect of the story.
Welcome back to Corbett Report Radio here on Republic Broadcasting and moving right along as we continue going through the brand new Corbett Report 2010 video archive and some of the highlights from that DVD. I'd like to highlight another uh, part of the DVD. We've uh, listened to Sunday Update and New World Next Week. But on the DVD, there's also some commentary by myself along the lines of the video series that I ran last year that people might be familiar with called The Last Word. Well, uh, in that vein, I had some uh, some commentary in 2010. It wasn't called The Last Word, but it was basically the same format, me just highlighting uh, an issue of importance and talking about it at some length. And here we are with The Meaning of Austerity, a video that I put out in June of 2010, and which I like to think showed a bit of foresight because it ended up in 2010 at the end of the year when they come out with the word of the year thing. Uh, Austerity was voted the word of the year. So I think it, uh, it was definitely part of the zeitgeist. And I don't know about you, but I only started to hear the word austerity bandied about so much in 2010 when all of the uh, the IMF and the others started uh, bringing about their well, their economic new world order that we know that they've been grasping at for so long. And that was exactly what I wanted to highlight in this and hopefully catch a little bit of the uh, the Google searching and all the other, uh, you know, NSA spy grid searching that the, uh, the sheeple might be doing for the word austerity when they encounter that word for the first time. I wanted to show them what that word really means and who's really pulling the economic strings. So once again, the meaning of austerity, once again, available completely for free on YouTube. So you can just type that in and you'll find it there. But it's also available on the new Corbett Report 2010 video archive DVD at CorbettReport.com. It's an old trick to couch a painful reality inside of a flowery platitude. We hear it all the time in our daily lives. And for the most part, we know how to read between the lines when someone tries to do it to us. When your doctor tells you that this will only hurt a bit, you know enough to brace yourself for a painful procedure. When your boss tells you that he has an exciting new project for you to work on, you know you're about to get saddled with a job that no one else wants to do. When a salesman tells you that a used car is a fixer-upper, you know that you're looking at a lemon. Similarly, when the IMF tells a nation that they need to implement austerity in order to get themselves out of a financial crisis, here too lies a gaping chasm between the language and the reality. Austerity is one of those Orwellian terms that has been injected into our political discourse precisely because it is a nice-sounding word for a very painful reality. Austerity implies discipline, self-restraint, even nobility. Austerity is prudent. Austerity is modest. Austerity is a virtue. It is an end in itself. If the IMF or the European Central Bank come to the people of a collapsing European nation and tell them to sacrifice their pensions and their savings and their very standard of living, all for a debt that their government has fraudulently racked up in their name, no one would go for it, and rightly so. But tell those same people that they need to implement austerity measures in order to get back on their feet economically, and many will be willing to live in the harshest of conditions, content to put up with the dismantling of their nation itself, in the vain hope that by giving more power to the international financial institutions, they can somehow avoid economic collapse. The trick, of course, is that reality is completely the opposite. Like the doctor giving you false assurances that this will only hurt a bit, the economic amputation that the bankers have in store for the once-proud nations of the industrialized world will be excruciating. Just ask anyone in the third world. They should know. They've been going through these austerity plans for decades. 
Ask the people of Ethiopia if the IMF World Bank economic therapy of the 1990s worked in their nation's favor. Ask them about the fire sale of state assets, public utilities, farms and factories for pennies on the dollar to multinational corporations. Ask them how USAID helped to dump surplus genetically engineered crops that couldn't be sold in Europe on poor African nations as charitable food aid. The extent of the horrors inflicted on Ethiopia by the international financiers almost beggars description. The banksters weren't content to carve the country into pieces and sell the scraps to their big business cronies. They then had the audacity to steal the very food off the poor farmers' tables and replace it with GM Frankenfoods that the rest of the world wouldn't even touch. This is the real face of austerity. It is nothing less than economic slavery to an elite group of banksters who have created their own fiat wealth out of thin air. Nor is Ethiopia the only example of this procedure, quite the contrary. A similar process has played itself out in almost every country that the international finance oligarchs have tried to set straight with their procedures that will only hurt a little. In Brazil, IMF reforms actually altered the nature of the Brazilian constitution, halting transfers of federal funds to state governments so that those funds could be used to pay the bankers their pound of flesh. The IMF structural adjustment program in Peru devastated the local agricultural economy and made illegal coca production the only viable way for many farmers to make a living. From the first IMF-sponsored economic reform package in Peru in 1978 to the second round of IMF reforms in the early 90s, coca production increased over 400%. A $4.8 billion IMF loan to Russia in the late 90s never even made it into Russian coffers, with billions being deposited directly into offshore bank accounts connected to mobsters, politicians, and banksters. Despite the fact that the Russian people did not see a single ruble of the siphoned money, they were still responsible for paying it back to the international bankers who were kind enough to lend it to them at interest. Time and time again, in country after country, in every corner of the globe, IMF loans spell disaster for the people who are left holding the bag. The crux of the entire issue is that none of this is unexpected. In fact, it is part of the design of the IMF austerity programs themselves. As revealed by Joseph Stiglitz, the former chief economist of the World Bank, the IMF's modus operandi is to conduct economic raids of debtor nations, dismantling and selling off infrastructure for the benefit of foreign corporations, and making sure that all public money is used to pay off the bankers. He even has a name for what happens after the austerity plan inevitably results in the dissolution of a society. The IMF riot. Bolivians rioted over water prices, Indonesians rioted over food and fuel subsidies, Ecuadorians rioted over cooking gas prices, Argentinians rioted over the complete collapse of their once-rich nation. The common denominator in all of these cases were austerity measures and the IMF. Now, the beginnings of IMF riots are shaping up in Europe. People are taking to the streets to protest the measures that are about to be taken in the name of paying back to the banksters what corrupt governments stole from the people. On the other side stand the police, increasingly militarized and deployed in the service of the banksters and the politicians. The battle lines are forming. But is there another way out? Can the people of Europe learn from the examples of Iceland? That tiny North Atlantic island nation too found itself facing complete bankruptcy as the derivatives-fueled bubble of the Icelandic financial sector burst in the wake of Lehman Brothers. The people were once again left holding the bag for billions of dollars in debts owed to foreign banks, and the quiet streets of sleepy Reykjavik were, were erupting in violence.
But in Iceland, the people did not fight the government, they became the government. A populist people movement forced the early collapse of Iceland's government and non-politicians were swept into power. They held a referendum in which the people overwhelmingly rejected the idea that they were going to pay billions of dollars to foreign bankers for a debt that was not theirs. It was fraudulent and they will not pay it. It remains to be seen whether the G20 nations will be able to follow the Icelandic example as the rot begins to eat away at the economies of the rich, industrialized nations. The first test of this may happen as early as this week at the G8 G20 in Toronto, where the political puppets of the Canadian government have indebted the Canadian people by a staggering $1 billion to pay for a totalitarian police state operation that will inevitably provoke such mindless, violent reactions. We stand at a crossroads where the people can rise up in mass against the financial oligarchs who are puppeteering this downfall and get rid of the political puppets of both the left and the right who fall into lockstep with the vultures of Wall Street no matter who sits in the White House. Or, not understanding what is happening or who is really behind it, the people can be led into senseless acts of violence against black-suited policemen in battles that will not address the root of the problem but will lead to pain and suffering. The first step is to nurture the understanding that the austerity offered by the bankers is not the solution to our problems, but the beginning of them. Then we will know what it means when the IMF tells us this will only hurt a bit. For the Corbett Report in Western Japan, I am James Corbett. Once again, the meaning of austerity and moving right along as people who have listened to this broadcast know economics and the monetary system and all of this is very fundamental, I think, to what's going on in our world today. So in that vein, I also have a video series called Economics 101 that we've highlighted in a previous edition of this uh, of this very broadcast, Corporate Report Radio. But uh, tonight I wanted to highlight one of the episodes of Economics 101 that's on this DVD. And it's uh, it's an interview with Gerald Salente on the issue of Foreclosure Gate, which was uh, coming out in the end of 2010. Part of that big scandal where it where it turned out that the banks were foreclosing on people that they didn't even they didn't even own the uh, the deeds to uh, just absolute fraud on a scale that's I mean it would almost be unthinkable if we didn't know all the other types of things that these banksters have gotten up to behind the scenes and the fact that the very monetary system itself is a fraud but still the uh, the blatant nature of the foreclosure gate scandal is just in your face incredible so i did cover it with the uh, gerald salente of trendsresearch.com uh, obviously one of the uh, the premier uh, forecasters and, and researchers out there who's who's really uh, not afraid to to pull any punches or, or say what he really feels so he's always an interesting man to get uh, an interview with and so in the near the end of 2010 i did interview gerald salente for my economics 101 series to talk about foreclosure gate and what that scandal meant and as a uh, denouement to that, people might know that uh, recently there's been talk of the uh, the wrapping up of all of that foreclosure gate scandal with the nice little bow for the banksters as they have to pay a little rap on the knuckles type fine to get away with the, the uh, staggering amounts of fraud that they committed in this, once again, swindling of the average person out there. So let's listen to Economics 101, Gerald Salente on foreclosure gate. Well, it's just another piece of criminal activity coming out of the banking system. And it's always the same story. At first, they deny it. They say it's nothing. And then it's all just a little minor slip up. And then as you start looking deeper into it, you see how, how deeply the fraud spreads. 
It's fraud closure, not foreclosure. And it's only, again, another element, and people should expect this, from a banking system that rips off the people at every level. Let's look at the deal here. Let's be realistic. Where do they borrow money? For almost nothing rates from the Fed, the big banks, and then charge these ridiculous rates to the people that are borrowing it? You're two seconds late on your credit card, and they slap you with a 30% interest rate. Who could get away with that? Only in a criminal society, that's who. So as we see this unfolding, we're going to see it take a very heavy toll on the already sinking real estate market. Look at the numbers, James. New home sales just came out. Oh, they bragged that they went up in this year of what Vice President and propaganda Joseph Biden called, quote, the summer of recovery. Oh, yes, they went up those home sales. They're only 22% below that terrible 2009 level. So this fraud closure is going to have an even more dramatic effect on the sinking real estate market. It's going to seize up a lot of properties that would have been sold. And of course, you're going to see many more foreclosures clogging the system and worsening a bad situation. I'm afraid that you are correct there, but uh, it brings me back to to the old, uh, I think it was Joseph Stalin who said one person's death is a tragedy, but a million is a statistic. And it seems like one person's foreclosure is a tragedy, but a million people getting foreclosed on is a a statistic. And $1,000 being stolen is a tragedy, but one trillion is just a statistic. It seems like there's a different level of uh, culpability and a different level of uh, just a criminal uh, system for people who are operating at, at fraud at this type of level. What do you think about that sort of breakdown in the rule of law? Well, listen to the, listen to the words of the criminals in chief. What did we hear from Lloyd Blankfein, the CEO of the Goldman Sachs gang? He calls what he's doing, quote, God's work. What did a handful of, what did a handful of, of these banking uh, criminals and, quote, investment firms, how much are they cutting up so far? $144 billion with a B? If you put that number out there, that's equivalent. That ranks number 49th in world GDPs out of 194 countries. And then listen to that money junkie, that guy who's the head of the Blackstone Group, Stephen Schwartzman crying those crocodile tears that he may get hit his firm if the if the uh, tax rules change and they have to pay more taxes. Quote, he said it's the equivalent of Hitler invading Poland in 1939. Roll this guy out on the couch and bring a shrink out to get into his head, you want to see a money junkie supreme comparing World War II, the slaughter of tens of millions of people, a tragedy that gripped the world to this little slimy piece of garbage complaining that some of his billions may be cut away. That's what's going on. There's a total disconnect. This is why the French invented the guillotine. 
Well, those are some strong words, but uh, we at least have a, a, a chance in the next couple of days. I guess there's a, a midterm election coming up in the U.S. What do you think of the prospects of that for getting any sort of change to the system? Well, there'll be a change. It's like bringing the Bonanno family in to take over where the gallows got just thrown out. Republicans, Democrats, gallows, Bananos, Iceberg, Greenberg. It doesn't make any difference at all. It's the same criminal group. Look at the money that these guys are raking in to run these so-called campaigns. Campaign contributions, my neck. How about calling them bribes and payoffs? Nah, the changes will be minimal. The things they'll argue about won't make any difference. Meanwhile, the big crimes will still go on. Look who's paying them off. The lobbyists are already lining up for the new speakers of this and that in the House and the the Senate Majority Leader making their deals. It's business as usual in the hub of criminality. Washington has hijacked Wall Street and the Goldman Sachs gang, the Merrill Lynch mob, the Citigroup criminals, and all the rest of the money junkies and criminals and crooks in charge are just going to be cutting the same old deals, just doing it with different guys. Broadcast. We are now in the closing minutes here of Corbett Report Radio for this Friday night edition and the closing minutes of this week's edition of the broadcast. So once again, I hope you've enjoyed some of the guests and conversations and topics that we've been talking about this week. And of course, tonight on the Friday night edition of this broadcast, we've been highlighting some of the videos from my brand new Corbett Report 2010 Video Archive DVD, once again available for purchase from CorbettReport.com, 1300 Japanese yen, so about $15 American. That includes shipping and handling anywhere in the world. And yes, you can get your hands on this DVD. Once again, almost 120 minutes of video here on this NTSC-compatible video DVD. And it is, uh, once again, all of this information is completely available for free on YouTube.com slash CorbettReport, so you don't have to buy it if you... Uh, don't have the funds, but if you do have the funds and you want to help contribute to the Infowar and you want to get this on DVD and you want to be able to make copies and hand it out to people and spread the knowledge, by all means, thank you for your support. And let me just finish here with the track listing for the DVD so you know exactly what's on it. There, as we've uh, heard some of the highlights uh, from what we've uh, what what is on the DVD, but we haven't heard all of it, obviously. So, not a, in addition to the meaning of austerity, that video commentary that we listened to earlier, and in addition to my uh, Economics 101 with Gerald Salente, there's also an Economics 101 with Alex Jones on the Cashless Society. There's that New World Next Week episode with the WikiLeaks information that we listened to. There's two editions of Sunday Update. We listened to one of them earlier tonight. 
And uh, there's another commentary, When False Flags Don't Fly, uh, a very popular online commentary. It's been seen hundreds of thousands of times now on YouTube. Uh, one of my, I think, touchstone commentaries, really. Uh, there's also an extensive, almost, I think, half-hour interview with Dan Dix of PressForTruth.tv talking about the North American Union. And there's also, just for fun, a little video that I put together for, of Japanese fireworks from the year 2010. So once again, nine videos in total and uh, a lot of information to take in. I hope you take advantage of that. And once again, let me remind all of the listeners out there that if you sign up to be a subscriber to Corbett Report, i.e. donating 100 Japanese yen per month, you not only get my e-newsletter every month, but you also get a 25% discount on all of the Corbett Report DVDs, including the 2010 video archive, the 2009 video archive, and my data DVD volume one and of course there are more dvds that will be coming out later this year including more data dvds more video dvds and hopefully eventually my book reportage so more coming out and for all the latest you can of course just stay tuned to corporatereport.com where you can find information on all of the things that are available uh, and all of the free information that is always freely available on corporatereport.com once again c-o-r-b-e-t-t report.com So that's it for me for this week. Once again, thank you so much for all of your support, uh, all of the feedback, all of the things that I get through the the contact form on CorbettReport.com. It's greatly appreciated, as is all of your good vibes, positive feedback, and yes, even your criticisms. So please keep it all coming in. And that's it for this week on Corbett Report Radio, and I'm looking forward to doing it again next week. So until then, thank you for listening, and take care.